Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning and you've been waiting for it all week. You are with Lyle and... Minnie! Minnie! How are you this morning? Oh, I'm good. Yeah. It's my big brother's birthday today. Happy birthday, Chris. Big shout out for Chris. I don't think he's a birthday person, but I like to tell people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so everybody who knows Chris, you need to uh, give Chris a call today and and wish him a happy birthday. (laughs) Don't tell him how you know. (laughs) Just absolutely... Fill his 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 uh, his messages, his texts, his inbox, his phone calls. That's the one. His messenger with birthday wishes. Yeah. Let me get my phone and let <laughs> me send him a happy birthday right now while we're talking. That was, yeah, but anyway, so I was driving and I was oh, no, yeah, when I woke up, I was like, oh, Chris's birthday, I've got to message him. So, yeah, I'm good. It's always a good start. Just being like, oh, I appreciate my family. They're a pretty good bunch. Oh, your family's amazing. Pretty weird bunch. but like- <laughs> Oh, so weird in the best possible way. There's nothing yeah. better than a weird family. Oh, 100%. Normal families are just boring. Yeah. Is, is, Actually, okay. I, I reckon every family has its own level of weird <laughs> for different We're reasons. Weird. Though. We're all weird. <laughs> what about you? How are you feeling this morning, Lyle? Amazing. Just absolutely oh, amazing. There we go. Yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. nice, and, nice and good stuff. Yes. yes. P- particular reason? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I have a window in my mm-hmm. house, a new Aye, window, okay. a new window that didn't exist before and it's full of glass and it's amazing and it lets so much light in and this room was like the black hole of Calcutta and now <laughs> it is nothing against Calcutta but it is just absolutely amazing to have so much yes. light in there. Actually, I didn't even know what the black hole of Calcutta is. I have no idea. I just the felt like you said I it with confidence kind of and I went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> My dad said it a long time ago. Oh. So there must be a black hole there somewhere. Look, look. let's just say there is because it sounds right. I don't know. Maybe it's named after something in space. Who knows? But there is so much light in that room and it is making me so happy that uh, I'm just full of gratitude. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Tell us some positively different news then. I sure will. Um, no, so I was like, I, I love this part of my day. Um, when I like look I love, at these the, I love this part of your day as well. Oh, it's just like it's just so fun for me. And like sometimes I tell people outside the radio, I'm like, did you know? <laughs> okay, so there is a rescue sanctuary for abandoned or injured animals in Texas, um, and it's kind of created this unique "Who Helps Who" um, project atmosphere. And it kind of all came about because Jamie is a mother of an autistic child, and you know, like we actually know a lot about how. Animals can be great. You know, we have service dogs and service animals of, of all sorts. Yes. Um, and, yeah, she, she was just watching her autistic son kind of chill out with their dog, Angel, I guess, um, his service dog. And she just noticed how when Angel joined the family, it wasn't just the physical help. When, like, this is the point of them, right? Um, but it was also his confidence to kind of, like, get over his fears and, like, have power over some of his disabilities, even understanding his own thoughts. And, um, anyway, so with her husband... David, this mum purchased an old farm and they dreamed of turning it into a safe haven for kids with various disabilities, um, special needs, mental health issues, histories of emotional past trauma and that. Um, and its mission is to also rescue animals from severe neglect or abuse and re- rehabilitate the ones that are able to be. Which I just I saw a picture of it and I thought it was the coolest thing because, you know, like some of these animals are also like two-legged, three-legged, like just, you know, blind, this and that. And it's just... Trying to connect people who have needs with animals who have some needs. Yeah, that's amazing. Have you heard the story? No. Oh, I was like, you're looking at me and I was no. like, mm, I don't know if this one that like, we've already covered. <laughs> no, we have not covered this. This is, 
This is amazing. I'm just sitting here enjoying oh, yeah, you're good, the good. whole concept behind it. Yeah, how good is it? And um, yeah, and so she said that they receive um, emails from potential visitors because they have it open. They're just like, yeah, if you want to come, like you, you come even just to check it out. But for people who particularly are looking at, um, yeah, I guess getting a pet or animal, um, she kind of delves into what what some of their issues are and some of the backgrounds. And so she really tries to connect animals that she feels best meets their needs and, and they have this little healing hearts tour. And I just oh, think wow. that's so good. I'm like, yeah, that's what we need. So um, when you talk about animals that best help them with their needs, how do you actually make that connection? I mean, if you've got somebody who is disabled in that, say, they're missing a leg, do you then find an animal that is three-legged and they can sort of connect with each other? Look, potentially. I didn't, I didn't fully gather that. I kind I've of, heard these kinds of stories yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's actually not a super rare thing, to be honest. Like, no, you know. it's not. And I think it's a really special thing mm. when you get a disabled person who adopts a disabled animal yeah. and they have a very special bond together. Mm. Well, I know, I mean, I haven't, in looking at this story, I didn't find specifically that it was this, but I know in what you just said that there have been stories where it's like, yeah, a, particularly a kid who maybe has lost part of a limb or was born with that one they've really connected when they see their animal that also has lost one because it's like oh you're like me you know um but with adults i'm not totally sure about that i just thought it was really cool it's very cool and we know like animals just have a lot of love to share i know our dog has a lot of love to share yeah the thing i love about our dog is that everything is is his favorite thing yeah. Anything you suggest, that's his favourite thing. The best. You throw his ball, it's like, oh, that's my favourite thing. You take him for a walk, it's like, oh, I'm walking, that's my favourite thing. thing. <laughs> you scratch his belly, it's like, oh, that's definitely my favourite thing. You know, everything is his favourite thing. Uh-huh, food, favourite thing. <laughs> definitely, definitely all day long, that's his favourite thing. And we'll just have a lot of love to you. And I think what I appreciate about, appreciate about these sort of projects too is like I imagine this takes a lot of effort. Like there's the space they yes. had to buy this place. They had to find and rescue these animals. I don't know what take do they have to insure it. I don't know. But they would. They would. Um, I feel. Yeah. I don't and know. Animals are not cheap to look after. No way. Even if you have people helping you, it's still a solid like. Yeah, I was looking at the cost of owning a horse the other day. <laughs> okay. Thinking yeah. of buying a horse. You want to you want to own a horse? It's going to cost you like half a million dollars. Oh. <gasps> oh. That's they, went, they went through the breakdown of, you know, the care that it's going to require, mm-hmm. the land that it's going to require, uh, the feed that it's going to require, you know, the, you know, just down through the whole list. And it's like, yeah, this is going to be an expensive hobby. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I really wanted a horse desperately. Didn't have much of a yard. I had a bit of a yard, but mum consistently was like, it's money and space. We have neither. And I was like, as a kid, you don't understand that concept. I was like, <laughs> I want a horse. Why can't I have a horse? I'll ride it to school every day. Like, and you'll just leave it there. Yep. Well, my grandfather rode his horse to school every day. In fact, he and his brother rode it together, both of them on the horse together to school. But how far away did they? It was a country town? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They rode to school. They um, they used to take their shotgun with them as well. So different times. Different times. times. (laughs) Definitely different times. (laughs) But yeah, I was just like, well done to these guys that they see. And I think a lot of these projects actually start that way. It's people who directly see the benefit of it. You know, for this mum and her husband, it was, oh, our son is greatly helped. Let's see what we can do for others. Um, anyway, so well done them. Okay, next story. I thought this was quite interesting. So a Spanish biotech company is looking to generate renewable energy from soil. Dirt. Dirt. N- energy. 
Yes. I have lots of dirt. Yeah. I have a whole backyard full of dirt. Can I run my house (laughs) off uh, dirt? Well, that's what they're wanting to aim for. So at the moment, they can't do a full house. And one of the guys who was involved in creating this, he said there's potential for this technology to be be very, very cheap. Um, And so it's actually been labelled one of the most disruptive startup companies for that reason. Um, but like, and it makes sense, right? Because if you can make that accessible yes. to anyone in so many ways, it's going to be disruptive. That means that <laughs> all of the electric companies are going to be out going out of business. All of the solar power companies going yeah. out of business. Yeah. So how it works? Now I'm not scientifically minded, but I picked up what I could from this. So they have batteries. Like it is run on batteries. And they're created so that they're energized by irrigation or rain, whatever, and they use the soil microbes and nutrients. Somehow, don't know how, right. but that plant matter, whatever is in soil, creates protons and electro- electrons, which when combined with oxygen, flow through holes in the battery, and then it um, just generates through... Okay, so if I get a series of batteries, right? and I go and drive a bunch of stakes into my backyard <laughs> and hook them up to the batteries and it rains, they should charge. Um, um, I don't know that that's how most batteries work, hey? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't sound quite that doesn't simple? Sa- no. So, look, I don't know how they've designed it, but at the moment they can power lights, screens and small appliances. But their goal is for houses. It's not there yet. Okay, so this would be super cool because solar power only works during the day. Most of the time during the day, of course, I'm at work, you're mm. at work, and the solar power is sitting on top of my roof kind of doing nothing. Yeah, but yeah. not this. No, absolutely. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. So I have some information on the black hole of Calcutta. Oh. Well, I did, I did mention that earlier just as a bit of a saying. And this was a dungeon in 1756. Hey. In Calcutta. Uh, the dungeon was 4.3 by 5.5 metres wide. It was a hole in the ground. And 146 prisoners were in, uh, imprisoned there overnight. And only uh, 23 were alive the next day. Yeah, I was going to say at one time. Yes. <gasps> oh. Yes, it's pretty That's dark. actually some real grim history. Yeah, some real, some, yeah you kind of wonder. Sometimes some of the sayings that you know you sort of grow up with and you read it and it's like, wow, uh, that's, uh, uh. that's really, really... Um, dark. So then went dark very fast. Anyway, uh, while we're on dark stories, this one's pretty dark as well. So this one is about a couple by the name of uh, James and Gail Blaze, and they from Idaho uh, wanted to foster their granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And so the granddaughter was being taken off their parents by the uh, by the government by the state. That happens from time to time. Parents, you know, they get into, you know, addictions and drug abuse or whatever it might be and have their children taken off them. And so it's been consistently shown that the very best thing that you can do with children is to keep them with family. Mm-hmm. So if they can't be raised by their biological parents, their biological family are their best opportunity for being raised in a healthy environment. And of course, um, James and Gail were very, very devout Christians. So the state of Idaho sent somebody around to assess them, find out, you know, are these people appropriate uh, people to raise a child? Mm-hmm. You know, do an assessment. You, you need to do that, particularly, you know, because they're, they're obviously not uh, as young as they used to be. And they got hit with a bunch of questions. These were some of the questions that they were asked. Uh, how would you react if this child was, and, and it's a daughter, was a lesbian? Um, would you allow this particular child to have a girlfriend spend the night as a romantic partner? 
I mean, this child's still in single digits age bracket. Um, if this particular child wanted hormone therapy to transition to the appearance, and I'm glad they said appearance here, to the appearance of another sex, would you support it? Uh, would you provide boys' clothes and use a boy's name if this particular child asked for it? And of course, you know, as being Christians, you know, standard Orthodox Christianity that, you know, most people believe in, they're like, no, we would treat this child with utmost love and utmost respect, but there are some things that we would not support. I mean, for myself as a Christian, there's not going to be any scenario in which when my children were that young that they would have a romantic partner come and spend the night with them. Yeah, I was going to say kind of regardless of... Regardless yeah. of orientation. Yeah. You know, that's just good parenting. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know, this many. Just, <laughs> like, you know, and, and of course, there's no science to back up that, you know, hormone therapy and these kind of things is actually beneficial, reduces the risk of suicide, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, with people that are struggling with gender dysphoria and so forth. Which there is only ideology. Sorry, go. No, I was going to say that, and it's actually really significant that because I think it's easy to go, oh, here's a new thing that we could do. This is the answer. And you're like, well, does it help? The answer should be like, based on science. Yeah, because it's a significant thing. Absolutely. And you're dealing with a, a sector of society that has the highest suicide rate yeah. of any sector of society. I mean, this is a, has a higher suicide rate than uh, Jewish people in the ghettos of Warsaw during the Second World War. Hectic, hey. You know, and you want to talk about bullied people. Mm. Th- that, you know, so there's, this, is, this is a major problem. And so what do we do today? We pro- provide acceptance rather than treatment, which is an absolute tragedy. Uh, we need to be providing treatment for people who are struggling with these kind of things. And so basically what happened is that they were denied by the state of Idaho uh, to be foster parents uh, based on ordinary Christian belief. So it's like, no, we don't agree with your religious belief, therefore you can't. You are not fit to be parents. Hmm. That's, that's a bit scary. That's interesting to me because like, I would also want to know questions about like how – just how would you respond? Are you going to respond in an abusive way if, like, you get mad at the kid? Like, if you do you know oh, what I mean? Like, there's the, so many other things. That's that right. And the responses really that they gave, if you read through the responses that they gave, they were really, really good responses, mm. responses that were just full of love, as you would expect to come from an ordinary Christian couple. Mm. You know, we would treat them with love. We would treat them with respect. We would try and help them where we could. We understand that, you know, children go through all kinds of issues and we would be there for them to give them love and support, you know, as much as we possibly could. There are some things that as Christians we wouldn't allow in our home and there are other things that as Christians we would not support based on our religious belief and also a complete lack of science. Mm. So this girl, the granddaughter, she's definitely now not going to them. Is there other family? Okay, they were denied by the state of Idaho um, based on their religious belief, Uh which sets a precedent that is a little bit scary because that's you're starting to head down a slippery slope now. Mm. Whereabouts are you going to stop? It's like, well, we don't like your religion, so you can't have children. Mm-mm. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the slippery slope that you're starting off. That's the precedent that you're setting here, uh, particularly when it's not based on science. You know, if it was based on science, they might have some argument to say, no, this is going to be harmful to the child. 
You know, there are some cults out there where you would say, no, this is going to be harmful to the child and this is the science that backs it up, therefore you can't foster children. And I get that and I support that, mm, mm. right? But there's no science to back this up. There's only ideology and it's basically, well, my faith is different from your faith, therefore I'm not going to let you uh, foster children. Yeah. Hooey. So, yeah, a scary thing. They sued, mm. won the case. Oh. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. It is. Gives a little bit of a uh, perspective into the future, though, when the state is asking these kinds of questions in the first place. Hooey, hard out. Yeah. Okay, so what else we got here to talk about? Uh, let me see here. Uh, a couple of uh, smaller stories. Uh, US elections happening right now. Oh, is it? It is. There you go. Didn't know. <laughs> How am I not surprised that many didn't know? It is. It is. We should have some preliminaries that results by this afternoon. Oh, they have already uh, by like stupid o'clock this morning. They already had broken the record for the number of people who have ever voted in United States history. Over one hundred million people had already voted. This wow. is the most bitterly contested election. And this is a country in which, you know, if you can get like 20, 23% of the population to actually cast a vote, you're doing really well. And part of, you know, the aim of the candidates is not just to get them to vote for you, but to get them to bother to go and vote. Vote at all. Vote yeah. at all. Ooh. And so, yeah, they are all coming out to vote. They have already, like hours ago, broken the record for the number of people in the United States. That's like nearly a third of the United States population um, has turned out to vote. And, of course, you know, there's a bunch of ineligible uh, people within that population. And, of course, 400 protesters arrested in Melbourne at an anti-lockdown rally. That's probably a new record for Australia. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Fantastic. Well, Johnny's on the phone this morning, as uh, always happens on a Wednesday, is David Haupt to talk about emotional health. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, and good morning to your listeners, Lyle. David, I have an interesting question this morning that goes along the theme of what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks in relationship to men. And we've talked about the lack that we have in society of mentoring men, and as a result of that, we've had the rise of, you know, a, a, a generation or, you know, a, a portion within our society of dysfunctional men and we've talked about how to raise uh, functional men. One of the questions that has been an interesting one for me, I've had several conversations over the last couple of weeks with women that have come from abusive relationships, long-term relationships in which they weren't being uh, physically abused. In other words, they weren't being beaten and this kind of thing but they were being severely controlled um, and not even realising just how abusive the relationship was until they left that relationship. And then, on the other hand, seeing men just being completely devastated when their wife leaves and not understanding why their wife has left. And I guess the question that's been going through my mind is, what's actually going on here? You know, are these people that are in love or is this just long-term infatuation? Or and, and how does this take place and how do people not recognise what's happening? So can a person love someone and abuse the person that they love? Wow, that's a whole mouthful of <laughs> it is, multiple it is, questions. It is. Um, well, 
and if I don't respond to all of those questions, feel free to to come you know, to ask them again. Uh, let's start just by saying that our focus initially over the past two weeks has been on the absence of a father and the impact on a son's life and the, the devastating impact on his mental health. Um, what we hadn't had time to focus on yet was what happens if a father is in his life but that child is never really nurtured with servitude, in other words, to be a servant, but receives everything that his heart desires and um, never is taught boundaries and the respect for other people. The, the truth, in short, is that the foundation is laid for narcissism. Our world today... Um, our non-Christian world, and even in the Christian world, we are teaching our children today to say, look out for number one. Uh, remember, you matter, you count. It's very interesting that in the Christian life, and especially in the life of Jesus Christ, it, he did not matter. It actually was always the other one that did. Mm. So... Coming back to your questions, and that is that um, most men that are controlling men in their relationships never consider that they are such. They actually feel that they actually um, are just trying to make things better for, for their spouse. They were purely trying to guide their spouse. They were only trying to, to make it easier for their spouse. And therefore, uh, by the time that the wife gets into the kitchen in the morning after her husband left for work, there's already a whole array of sticky notes plastered all over the, uh, the kitchen, which she perceives as instructions on how she has to live a day. All that he's trying to say is, hey, I'm trying to make things easier for you. And what a shock then when she eventually walks out. Right. So these are men who are truly in love then, is just somewhat misguided. The question is often, um, and here I'm going to, you know, create uh, you know, a crisis here with my question, who are they really in love with? Infatuation. What is infatuation really about? Who is the focus of love in an infatuated uh, relationship? I've got no scientific evidence here for you, but over years of Christian therapy, I've come to the realization that infatuation is in reality a self-love, a, a feeling that I am in love with, what, the feeling that I feel about the other person that awokes as, as they post their tension upon me, that evokes a emotion in me that I actually feel in love with. So it's an actual fact of self-love. Mm. Because the research is out. True happiness in relationships is not found in focusing on self, but in actual fact, focusing on the other. Right. Controlling men as, as a primary uh, enjoys a dominant role. They want to vote. They want the decisions. They want their sections. They want everything to center around them. 
It is the I factor that becomes dominant. And often they have grown up in that kind of role model, uh, a, a model that parents have, have from very young instilled in them where look out for number one. Remember that you matter. Now, let me ask you from a biblical perspective, who had an eye-centeredness in Scripture? Yes, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. I will sit on the on the sides of the north. That was Lucifer. And that was Lucifer. And, and you look at Paul describing exactly the opposite in Philippians about Christ, who was God, who was in heaven, who sought no robbery to become equal with men, to become a servant amongst men, and even take on humanity and eventually die on a rugged cross. In other words, the servitude. I so often work in uh, in marriages where uh, this manipulation and control is taking place and men often remind their wives that the bible says that wives you've got to submit to your husband at the moment that they quote that they actually quoting it in a context that is not biblical because the the original greek word actually says that it, it the, the word that's used there as submission as, as submitting is an actual fact a military word where a soldier chooses volunteers to come under the command of the other in order to reach a common goal in other words it is not something that can be demanded it is something that is freely given by the wife mm. And, and, and therefore, it raises the question, why are there some women, and we don't need to talk about this today, that's maybe for a later discussion, why do women allow this control to take place? What is What has happened? What has transpired in their life that they are willing to stay in this kind of abusive relationship? Uh, and, and secondly, why are some women wanting to have the control? Is there some similarities? Mm. And I guess the conversation probably for another day is that there is a reverse to this equation. We've been talking about men for the last, you know, three weeks, but, you know, men are no more broken in our world today than what women are. And I think one of the things that you pointed out there, which is really key to this whole conversation, is that it all comes down to the contrast between, you know, Satan who was, it was all about I, 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 me, 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 and Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, that whole concept of dying to self. Exactly. And and one of our greatest challenges today in our society and in modern psychology is that we so often expect the society to change in, for, in order for us to be different. Well, the truth is, we can only control and change ourselves. And it's only, I believe, at the foot of the cross, if I can see my marriage through the light that shines from the cross and measure it against that, 
then I can see the truth of what's happening and therefore be able to change. It's very interesting that women that are living in an abusive relationship often stays there hoping that they can change their husband, hoping that they can change their marriage because their intent is really to have a happy marriage and help a husband to to live a fulfilled life uh, and a fulfilled married life. The the truth though is that she has no ability to change. And when she does try to change, one of three things will happen. She will very quickly uh, end up in tears with manipulation and abuse. Uh, secondly, that abuse will continue right into the night where she's diminished to to feel that she is nothing and she has no right of choice and able to, to speak and decide for herself. She's got no ability. Or it leads her to the third option, and that is to have to make a tremendous decision of either marriage counseling or return to the status quo of being controlled or the third option of uh, uh, divorce. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. The, the question immediately comes to my mind, is there another option for her? What steps can she take if someone, one of your listeners today, realizes that uh, she is caught up in a controlling, abusive relationship uh, before she walks out? Uh, or before she relinquishes her choice, uh, you know, her, her own governance. Is there another option? I would like to suggest that that person selects a Christian therapist that truly believes in biblical therapy that actually can help her to see her own worth and value, not in her husband, but see her worth and value in her creator God, who is also her savior God. Mm. And from that perspective, be able to have the fortitude and strength, the inner strength, to be able to work with a husband towards the point where they together will go for therapy. Mm, mm, absolutely. And I think one of the tragedies that probably both yourself and myself have experienced from time to time is that so often by the time people make that decision to go for counselling, it's too late or it, it seems like it's too late. It, it yeah. seems like they've just you know waited for so many years, and so much damage has been done that you know they're just not prepared to to put in all of the the, the years and the work that it's going to take to restore that. Lyle, the the sad thing is so often that women with a desire to have a better marriage have stayed in that marriage hoping that things will change and eventually reach that point where they've tried everything in their power possible to change and now come to the point where they feel they themselves hold no worth and value anymore. Their husband will never see their worth and therefore, there's only one way out, and that is divorce. While the husband actually intends to love his wife and mm. still believes that he truly loves her, not realizing that the ecocentricism that comes, I believe, purely from Satan has blinded him to the point where, in actual fact, it was a self-love. It was not a love of the other, which would have brought him to the point of serving her and uh, caring for her needs as well and lifting her up. That is the biblical model of love. 
We drum it into our kids to be true to themselves, where in actual fact they need to be true to Jesus Christ and die to self. David, thank you so much for joining us here. That was very, very insightful what you shared this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.